premillennial, pre-tribulational, dispensational, independent, and standing on the inspired, preserved Word of God, the King James Bible as our final authority, this is the Sword of the Spirit Podcast with your host and Bible teacher, Joseph Ruciello. Take your Bible, sit back, and join us as we open and study the Word of God. And now, here's your host. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Russiello, and it is great to be with you once again as we open up and study the precious Word of God. And my prayer for you today is that wherever you are, whenever you are, and on whatever platform you're listening to this on, you find yourself in the grace and in the mercy of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And before we get into the Bible study today, would you please consider visiting our website, swordofthespiritpodcast.com. And then while you're there, you can find that contact section and you can let us know whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind, have any questions or any comments, and especially send us over your prayer requests. Uh, If you don't like to use the web forms, you know, that's fine. You can email me directly at info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. That's info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. And also, while you're on the website, uh, look for this Support This Podcast button. And uh, if the Lord leads you to do so, if you've been praying about this, would you please consider supporting the ministry? I'm I'm really not good at this. You know that. I've told you this time and time again. Um, I hate to ask, but if you want to help support the ministry in getting out the gospel, helping us to expand, keep the lights on, you know, anything that has to do with keeping the podcast going, on a weekly basis, would you please consider a monthly contribution? Uh, please pray about it. Pray about supporting us. You know, uh, we, we really can't do it without you. And we've set those those contribution amounts up for $0.99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, and $9.99 a month. And uh, before we even get started here, we're going to also take a moment to say thank you to all of our supporters, those of you who support us uh, uh, prayerfully, and those of you who support us financially, and of course, to all of our listeners who tune in faithfully week after week, thank you so much. You're a tremendous blessing and an encouragement to me. And folks, if you're in the Eagle Pass area and you're looking for a good King James Bible-believing and Bible-teaching church, would you please consider visiting us over at First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass? We meet at 664 North Monroe Street. Our Sunday school hour starts at 10 a.m. Our worship service begins at 11 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is at 6 p.m. And our Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. For more information, visit the church's Facebook page. Just when you log into Facebook, uh, look for First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass. And once you get there, you're going to find a ton of helpful information. You'll also find archived episodes of this podcast. And um, we appreciate uh, the church allowing us to, uh, to post uh, our shows up on the uh, on the church's Facebook page. So thank you for that. And uh, uh, you know you could also find us on Spotify, Anchor, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, um, uh, Google Podcasts, and just recently, I think in the past week, we're now on Good Pods as well. So wherever it is that you're listening, please be sure to share it with your friends, your family, and your followers, and help us spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So. Um, uh, one thing I do want to say, though, um, uh, I, while I appreciate that uh, our church allows us to uh, to uh, post our podcasts up on our Facebook page, uh, our pastor said something uh, this weekend in church, and uh, uh, it made me think that you know I, I'm, I sincerely hope that that you know folks that are listening that uh, you're not substituting uh, the assembling of yourselves uh, in church for 
podcasts, any podcast, this one, any other one, uh, or uh, some some internet church service somewhere. You know, uh, it's so important for us to be together and for meeting together, especially in these last days. Uh, you need the fellowship of the saints. Um, you need the accountability of going to church. Uh, you need to be under the preaching and teaching of, of and, and, and physically being in church. It's, an, it's so important to your growth as a Christian. So I, I really hope that you're not substituting uh, this medium for, uh, for actual church attendance. And uh, I got that off my chest. <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, before we get into the Bible study this morning, uh, last week we started uh, teaching through Bible types, and we went through uh, Joseph as a type of Christ. And, uh, you know, we said there were about 150 different examples and ways of Joseph being a type of Jesus Christ. Uh, and we covered, I think, if I remember correctly, about 25 of them, I think. And uh, there, there were tons more. And, uh, but God doesn't only uh, type things Old Testament. He types things New Testament as well. And so that's what we're going to get into this week. But before we do that, uh, as usual, I like to go through some of our prayer requests and uh, we're still praying for Bernice and for Adam. Uh, Bernice is a member of our church, and she's uh, she's battling cancer, and uh, recently started a new treatment that kind of gave her a rough go. And uh, but she's doing better. We saw her in church this weekend, and and as usual, she has a big smile on her face. And uh, you know, she really is an encouragement to a lot of us. Um, you know, there are a lot of people out there that uh, who are believers that get sick like this and, and they develop that sense of, you know, woe is me uh, uh, mentality and attitude. But uh, not Bernice, not Bernice. She's really, um, she really, she comes to church with a smile on her face and she's a tremendous inspiration and blessing to, uh, to, to those of us at the church. And you also want to pray for her husband, Adam, who's doing the best that he can in taking care of her and, and his family and work and uh, so we want to pray for them. We also want to pray for uh, for Pastor Martin in Ohio. Um, of course, we want to continue to pray for his health and his well-being. Pastor Martin is uh, in the upper years of life, and uh, but you know this man is um, just a tremendous inspiration and an example, uh, especially for me. Um, now I've never met Pastor Martin personally. I've spoken to him several times on the phone, and um, this man in his advanced years. I want to say he's in his eighties. Uh, still goes out and street preaches, you know, still very involved in ministry. And it, that's a tremendous blessing. Uh, well, we're going to pray for his health. Continue, we're going to continue to pray for his health. But also, uh, this past week, uh, he went out uh, uh, with some men in the church to uh, do some ministry on the streets. And uh, he lost his wallet. So we're going to pray that the Lord will, will uh, get that wallet returned to him and somebody will be able to uh, uh, return that and you know, there wouldn't be any problems there. And we also want to pray for a new medication that he's going to be taking for some eczema that he's been dealing with as well. Uh, we want to pray for uh, this gentleman named John uh, who uh, is taking a group to Africa for agricultural purposes. We want to pray for him. Uh, one of the ladies in our church, uh, we want to pray for her sister's health. Um, we also want to pray for the health of, uh, of one of the sons of our pastor. Um, they as not to have the name given out. So uh, we're not going to do that. Um, I don't have it anyway in my notes, so it makes it kind of easy. And uh, we also want to pray for a woman named Nancy that she'll be able to get out of her house soon. Uh, I believe she had some uh, surgery or some uh, ailment to her legs and she hasn't been able to get out much. So uh, we also want to pray for my mom as well, for her salvation and, and for her health. And 
We're going to continue to pray for uh, my sister Laura, for her salvation, for my granddaughter, for her salvation. Uh, I'm going to pray for David in Brooklyn, uh, for his salvation, of uh, my in-laws as well. And uh, we also want to continue to pray for my son-in-law, who's been going into uh, service with the Border Patrol uh, very shortly and for training. And uh, for my daughter, who's pregnant, and for my niece also, who is pregnant. So we're going to keep all of them in prayer today. And uh, if there are any unspoken prayer requests out there, rest assured the Lord knows what those needs are, and he will answer those uh, accordingly. So, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you. Lord, we want to thank you for for answered prayer. We want to thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come before you in prayer. And, Lord, we want to lift up all of these folks that are on our prayer list for their health. Uh, uh, Sister Bernice, Pastor Martin, my mom. Uh, Lord, we also want to pray for Pastor Martin's uh, uh, wallet situation. We want to pray for this group uh, with John going into Africa for agricultural purposes. Uh, we want to pray for, for uh, this, uh, this sister's uh, in our church, her sister's health, uh, for, for this woman, Nancy, that she'll be able to get out of her home soon. Uh, we also want to pray for our, the health of our pastor's son. And Lord, we commit those uh, needs to you this this morning and father we also want to pray for um for just the unspoken prayer requests those unspoken needs of our heart lord that we may not be so quick to to uh, make known father we want to thank you so much for it answering our prayers for hearing our prayers today and lord i ask you to just to uh, be with me as i lead the study this morning and uh, lord we commit all of this time to you and we'll thank you for it in jesus precious name amen amen all right, well, what we're going to do here is we're going to take a short break so that you can go get your King James Bible. You can grab yourself a cup of coffee or a bottle of water, and then when we come back, we're going to get into today's Bible study, or we're going to begin our Bible study today in uh, looking at the eight miracles that are found in the Gospel of John. So we'll be right back right after this. Don't go anywhere. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Christ is its subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is given to you in life, will be open in the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its holy precepts. The King James Bible, God's Holy Book. Well, all right. Welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Rusiello, and uh, we're going to get into um, a really interesting study uh, this week uh, called the uh, I call it the Eight Miracles in John. Uh, we're not going to be able to get into every single one of them today, 
So it's going to probably be spread out over the next, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe two or three three weeks. So uh, so I'm really looking forward to get into this. And so uh, with that said, why don't you take your Bibles and turn over to the Gospel of John and uh, chapter 2. And like I said, what we're going to do here, it's kind of a short little series we're going to get into. We're going to look at these eight miracles in the book of John. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ performed eight miracles that are recorded in this gospel. And, uh, uh, you know, they're not only fascinating from the obvious standpoint of the miracle itself, but um, every single one of these miracles has some kind of a type or a prophetic context to it. So they're not just showing us the history of the thing, but they're, they're demonstrating something distant in the future as well. And, and really, only the Bible has the capacity to do this to the extent that it does. You know, the more you study your Bible, uh, the more convinced you become that it is the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. You know, the tapestry of this book is so finely woven and threaded together that there is absolutely no amount of human imagination that could have constructed this thing. Nothing. No amount of human brilliance could have put this thing together. This is indeed the Word of God. You know, and, the, and then there are, of course, people that criticize it, but those people that criticize the Bible don't read it enough to know that. You know, they don't understand what's really here. So, uh, John is the last of the Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And it has a, a radically different spin to it than the first three. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are considerably different from John when you, when you really look at them. Uh, you read things in John that you don't read in the other three Gospels. For example, and, and probably one of the most obvious is, you know, ye must be born again. Now, Jesus said that to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. But, uh, you know, you don't read about that, uh, read about being born again in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, only John. Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches, in John, not the other three. He said, I know my sheep, they hear my voice, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, in John. Uh, you don't read that in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. So, so John, John really sets itself apart as a gospel that's, that's, that's very different from the first three. Uh, now, many of the parables, miracles, and the essential stories are retained in John that we find in the other three, but there are a lot of things that are, that are different. And if you stop to think about it, it kind of makes sense because John is a, is a transitioning book to the book of Acts, okay? Uh, and but, but the book of Acts is something that's entirely different. So the Lord makes certain transitions in his Bible, and John is one of those books. It retains a Hebrew flavor, but it also gives a great deal more insight into the impending church age than the other three do. So now in John chapter 2, in verse number 1, and this will be the first miracle we're going to look at. John chapter 2, in verse number 1, the Bible says, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto, unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set, and there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, they knew not 
and knew not whence it was, but the servants knew, which drew the water, knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have drunk well, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Okay, so now this is the first miracle of the Lord Jesus that's recorded in the Word of God. And there are several things here we're going to observe. All right, let's look at verse 1. Uh, Jesus' mother is there. Okay, now his, now his mother's there, and she's connected to a wedding. So the whole event here centers around a celebration or a wedding. And the Holy Spirit thought it necessary to tell us that Jesus' mother was there. Well, keep your finger here in John chapter 2, and let's go over to the book of Galatians chapter 4. All right, I need you to keep your finger in John, uh, John chapter 2, because we're going to be going back and forth quite a bit today. All right, John chapter, um, sorry, Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 26. Galatians chapter 4, verse 26. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Now, this above Jerusalem is heaven. And you know that heaven is compared to mother. You know that when you go to heaven, you go in a mom's house. That's where you're going. And it'll be the best mom's house you ever went to. You know, I grew up in, in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn. Uh, the neighborhood that I grew up in was a mix of Italian and Jewish families. And I would say we had probably a 50-50 split. Now, one of my friends, Frank, lived at the other end of the block from me. And, 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 and he had one of those really ornate Italian homes, okay? His mom had, had a kitchen in the back of the house where she hung cheese and sauces and prosciutto. And, uh, and they had a big backyard garden with basil, tomatoes, oregano, parsley. I mean, you name it, they had it. All right. And if you didn't know any better, you would think that you were in a small townhouse in Italy someplace because really that's what it looked like. You know, I used to love to go to Frankie's house around dinner time, especially because, man, when you hit that door, the aroma of dinner, man, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. I loved going there. You know what? You're going to love going to mom's house. You're going to love going to mom's house. Take your Bibles and go to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. So instantly, if you make this connection, you realize something about heaven that's going to be entertained in this passage and in this miracle. Okay? Revelation chapter 19. And we're going to look at verse number 9. Revelation 19, verse 9. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Now, when you get to mom's house, and I mean heaven, one of the first things on the agenda is a wedding. This wedding right here in John 2 is a little bit of a composite picture of a far greater wedding that's going to take place. Now, interestingly and not coincidentally, it's on the third day. You know, there are no coincidences in that Bible. The Bible says, and the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. The third day. Now, you and I are living in the church age. Peter told us that a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. Now, in your Bible, the church age is compared to a time of two days. Two days. Now, do you know what's at the conclusion of the two days is? Well, it's a rapture. It's a rapture. And then we're going to a wedding on the third day. So this thing here is really not an accident. Both Jesus and his disciples are called to the marriage. 
And clearly that's a picture of you and I being called to a marriage up in heaven at mom's house. Verse 3. John chapter 2, verse 3. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now, honestly, that sounds kind of insulting, doesn't it? <laughs> right? I mean, if I would have said something like that to my mom, well, she would have said something like, you know, don't talk to me like that. And the next thing I knew, I would have been probably laying in my bedroom with an ice pack over my eye from my dad. But um, um, now of all the people in the world to say something like this, it's the Lord Jesus, right? Who's the author of honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long on the face of the earth. So clearly there must be something being said that's um, uh, 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 beyond the obvious, right? By this time, Jesus is 30 years old. So Mary is, is probably quite used to Jesus saying things that clearly go over her head. I mean, do you remember back when he was 12 and they found him instructing the lawyers and the Pharisees down at the temple? So by then, she probably thought, you know, I have no clue what he's talking about, but I know that he's not insulting me. So she says in verse 5, his mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. She didn't get upset. She didn't act offended. She just said, if he tells you to do it, just do it. And then she went on about her business. But there's, there's something about what Jesus is saying that needs to grab our attention. He said, mine hour is not yet come. Let's go over to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. John chapter 7 and verse 8. Go ye up unto this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. Look at verse 30. Verse 30. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. Look over in chapter 8, John chapter 8 and verse 20. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. So I think that the Lord is making it abundantly clear by the time we get to that verse that his hour isn't yet come. It has something to do with Jesus's immediate future. His hour is not yet come. Go over to chapter 12. John chapter 12 and verse 23. John chapter 12 and verse 23. Now, you know, here we are, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This is just four days before the crucifixion. So the crucifixion is immediately on the horizon here, okay? John chapter 12, verse 23. And Jesus answered, saying, answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground, and it die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So the hour has something to do with dying. Has something to do with dying. Verse 27, verse 27, John 12. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Chapter 13 and verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. 
Chapter 17, verse 1. John 17, verse 1. These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Now, do you know where this is? This is, the, this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the night before the crucifixion. Okay? Now, having read those verses, what do you think Jesus had in mind when he said, My hour is not yet come? I mean, just comparing Scripture with Scripture, just running down the word hour, what's the conclusion? Well, the conclusion is he's not ready to die in John chapter 2, is he? You know, the whole verbiage has to do with his death. Now, that's interesting because uh, that probably shows something about the miracle itself. You know, they all tie together. Now, in the Bible, there's new wine and there's old wine. The Bible speaks of both. Now, now old wine is fermented, okay? Old wine, old wine is fermented. It's, it's like what you would buy down at the wine shop, right? Uh, you know, in Bible language, new wine is grape juice. That's what it is. Well, let's run some verses on that. Let's go over to John, uh, sorry, Genesis chapter 40, 40. Genesis chapter 40. Let's go all the way back to the beginning here, okay? Genesis chapter 40. Now, uh, now Joseph here is in prison, along with a butler and a baker. Okay, remember that? And uh, these guys have dreams, and Joseph is given the ability to interpret dreams. So uh, verse 9 in Genesis 40. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph, and he said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Now, if you had a handful of grapes and you squeezed them into a cup, what would you have? Well, you would have grape juice, right? Right. I mean, that, I think that's pretty clear. You'd have grape juice, fresh squeezed grape juice. You would have new wine in Bible language. Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy chapter 29. Just scripture with scripture. Okay. You know, often when you talk to people about the Bible, they'll say, well, that's your interpretation of it. Uh, well, Peter tells us that we don't have the right of private interpretation. You have to interpret the Bible scripture with scripture. Okay, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 6. Uh, God is here. And God says to these Jewish people that have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, he says, Ye have not eaten bread, neither have ye drunk wine or strong drink, that ye might know that I am the Lord your God. So for 40 years they, had eaten, they hadn't eaten bread. Well, what did they have? They had manna. And he said, neither have ye drunk wine or strong drink that ye might know that I am the Lord your God. All right, chapter 32. Let's go over to chapter 32. Chapter 32 and verse 14. Butter of kine and milk of sheep with fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats with the fat of kidneys of wheat and thou didst drink the pure blood of the grape. So three chapters previous, he said, you didn't drink wine or strong drink. Then he says three chapters later, but you did drink the pure blood of the grape. So do you see what's going on here? 
That's not what he calls wine. He calls the pure blood of the grape. Okay? So interestingly, in all four places where the Bible talks about the Lord's Supper or communion, not one of those passages does God ever say wine. Not once. Not once. Now go over to Isaiah 65. I hope you're following the logic here. I know I'm throwing a lot of verses at you, but I hope you're following the logic here, okay? Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. Jesus turns the water into wine, and the whole stage that's being set is pointing towards the death of Jesus Christ. Interestingly, in Deuteronomy, it says, Thou didst drink the pure blood of the grape. So somehow, fresh-squeezed grape juice represents blood. Okay, Isaiah 65 and verse 8. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster. Well, isn't that what we discovered back over in Genesis chapter 40? The new wine is found in the cluster. And one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing is is in it. So will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. So where's the new wine found? It's found in the cluster. So people ask, why don't you drink fermented wine at the Lord's Supper? At the Lord's Supper. Well, the answer is because fermented wine doesn't represent blood. Fresh-squeezed grape juice does. That's what represents blood, and that's why we use it. Now, in all, all of the Bible, in the Bible, all of this points back to a more interesting thing. And I'm not going to get into it all now, but you know, maybe if I dangle this curiosity in front of you a little bit, maybe you'll research it for yourself. But um, it goes all the way back to the Garden in Genesis. Now, if you ask the average person, what was the tree of knowledge of good and evil? You know, the forbidden fruit. 99% of the people will say it's an apple. Well, why do they say that? Does the Bible say that? No, it doesn't. The Bible doesn't say anything about an apple. It simply says it's a forbidden fruit. And this would take a whole study in and of itself, but I could show you that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a grape. Now you say, but grapes don't, but, but grapes grow on vines, and it says a tree. Well, interestingly, Ezekiel calls a vine a tree. Look it up. He calls a vine a tree. So just kind of something for you to scratch your head about for a moment, okay? God said to Adam and Eve, that one right there, you leave it alone. And remember what Noah did as soon as the boat landed? Well, the first thing that Noah did was plant a vineyard, right? So that he could make what? So that he could make wine. So he could get snockered. Remember that? That's the first thing that old Noah did. That tree is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That forbidden fruit. And it's red. And you know what Adam and Eve were before the fall? Well, they were a king and a queen, weren't they? Do you know what a king is? A king is someone who has dominion. Didn't God say to Adam, have thou dominion? So they were a king and a queen. And what do we call royalty today? We call royalty what? We call them blue bloods, don't we? Did you ever wonder where that came from? Why do we call royalty blue bloods? Does their blood look any different than yours or mine? Has blood always been red? Or did it get red when someone drank something forbidden? 
You know, I wonder why ladies like to put red on their lips. I mean, I don't care. I'm not preaching against lipstick. You know, someone once said every old house needs a coat of paint once in a while, right? Uh, I'm going to get in trouble for that one, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, you know, but it's just these little things that kind of make you stop and think, you know, what's with all that anyway? You know, what's that all about? You know, isn't it interesting that that thing is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? How did the devil tempt them? He said, you partake of that tree and boy, you're going to have an expansion of knowledge and understanding that's just going to blow your mind. You know, the people that think they know best for us, the people that have so much knowledge, you know, the people that meet in Washington, D.C. and in Harvard and Princeton. You know, the people that, that think they know better than we do. They're the people that sit around sipping their wine. The people that think they're the smartest generally aren't the beer guzzlers, right? Now, you might say, I have a little glass of wine every now and then. You know what? I, I honestly, I don't care. I don't care. You know, that's between you and the Lord. Uh, should you do it? No. Should a Christian stay away from alcohol? Absolutely. But all I'm doing here is just pointing something out to you. I don't want you to think about it. Uh, so this miracle here has to do with the death of Jesus Christ. And it's pointing to that very thing. Not only in the early stages of it and, and some of the remarks that are given to us, but in the very miracle itself, changing the water to wine. It all revolves all the way back around to that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which resulted in a curse. And you know what? Jesus hung on a tree to take the curse from you. He who knew no sin became sin for you. Isn't that what the book says? It's an interesting thing. So miracle number one points to the death of Jesus Christ. Now, would you take your Bible and look with me over in John chapter 4? John chapter 4. And this is going to be the second miracle. John chapter 4 and verse 46. So Jesus came again into, into Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine. All right, now you catch that? He's, he, he's tying what we just read about to where we were in the last miracle. So he's, he's reminding us of the connection here. Okay, so Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir... Come down, ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend, and they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in, in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. This is, again, the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. Okay, so there are several things that we need to notice about this particular miracle. All right, Number one is that the son was sick, and the son was at Capernaum. So over in Luke chapter 10, let's go, and also over in the book of Matthew, we're reminded that Capernaum is cursed. 
Okay, so Jesus is talking about Capernaum, and he says, Sodom and Gomorrah are in better shape than you are. So Jesus put a curse on Capernaum, and that's interesting because where this son is at Capernaum represents a curse. Now, all of us are under the curse of sin, are we not? We're all under the curse of sin. And I explained that to a guy I knew I, I know once, and I told him that he was under the curse of sin, and, and because of that curse, we all have to die. And I said that Jesus died to take that curse away from you. I asked him, are, are you willing to receive that gift? And he said, I am. And he got saved. You know, Capernaum is a cursed place. Capernaum sits on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. And if you were to survey the entire coast of the Sea of Galilee, you would say that the, the only logical place around that whole lake or, or ta for town uh, would be on the north end where Capernaum is. On the west is Tiberias. Uh, there's a town there, and, and, and it's on, on these really steep hills. It's a really crazy place to build a town. On the south end, there's a huge swamp where the Jordan River flows out of into the Sea of Galilee, and it goes south. On the east, you have what we know what we know as the Golan Heights, uh, and, and and that are just really a series of cliffs. No way in the world you could build a town on them. But on the north end, on the north end where Capernaum is, is just a gentle, beautiful, sloping landscape that comes down to the water's edge. Uh, all that's really there are grapefruit and orange groves and one old concrete dock. Now you look at that and you say it's the most illogical thing in the world, except, except that Jesus cursed Capernaum. When Jesus curses a thing, he does a real good job. When a man understands that he's operating under the umbrella of sin, he realizes just how treacherous a position that he's in and how he needs a remedy. This young man was sick at Capernaum, which is a picture of the of the sickness of all of humanity. So the son, the son is sick at Capernaum, and we're reminded that this event is connected with the first miracle. The point of death is that people die because of the curse of sin. And then we have in verse then in verse forty eight, then said Jesus unto him. Except ye see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, all of a sudden here, all of a sudden, the emphasis is shifting. The emphasis is shifting. Who seeks after a sign? Who seeks after a sign? Well, the Jew seeks after a sign. Do you know what Jesus said in all four Gospels? He said, a wicked and adulterous generation looketh after a sign. God doesn't want you to be a sign seeker. He wants you to live by faith. There's a huge difference between always looking for a sign and trusting God by faith. Jesus is shifting to something entirely different. And he's castigating the sign seekers. Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. So the emphasis here is on believing. So do you see what's happening? We have the death emphasized in the first miracle. Then all of a sudden, we're moving into the church-age into church doctrine. What you're going to see before we're done is that all of eight of these miracles walk us through, all the way through to the book of Revelation. These eight miracles take us through the New Testament in an exact, precise progression. But just a bunch of men wrote that book. Really? Really? Okay. So what's the emphasis of the church age as far as salvation doctrine is concerned? 
What's the emphasis of the church age? It's believe, right? It has to do with believing, doesn't it? And it says it more than once. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. Verse 53, so the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, thy son liveth, and he, he himself believed and his whole house. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, we find that little thing in some other places, too. Go with me over to the book of Acts. Go with me over to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 11. Now, by the time we get to Acts chapter 11, we are in full-blown church-age doctrine. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, a Gentile, gets saved by believing, right? In Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch gets saved by what? By believing. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 11, it's just wall-to-wall church-age doctrine. Now, in Acts chapter 11 and verse 14, we read, Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved? So now what's going on here is Peter is rehearsing the events of Acts chapter 10, when he was sent down to preach to Cornelius, the Italian Gentile, and his house. And it says, all thy house shall be saved. Now, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, we get acquainted with the Philippian jailer. Paul and Silas are in jail for preaching and doing God's work. And they're, they're praying and they're singing in verse 25. What happens? God sends an earthquake and he busts the jail doors wide open. And the jailer is scared to death because if anybody breaks out of the jail, the jailer's life is in jeopardy. In verse 29, verse 29, he says, Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I mean, there's only one thing that I could think of that would incite that question. And that is that he'd been listening to these guys sing and pray. He's been getting wall-to-wall, treetop-tall gospel. You know, you can find some really interesting situations to distribute the gospel if you're willing to. When I was, when I was back in New York and I, and I was serving in a, in a local church out there, um, we had to make you know, quite a few house calls, you know, hospital calls, mostly because we had a large number of seniors in our church, and that's just the way it went. And there, there were several hospitals in the county, but the predominant one was Staten Island University Hospital. And it was a, it was a fairly big hospital campus had, with buildings that had like 14 floors or more, if I remember right. So uh, when you got into the elevator, you know, you generally had quite a ride. And frequently, and frequently when you got on the elevator, you had a whole gaggle of people on there with you. Now, most of the time, it was just myself and our senior pastor, and we would go out and visit. You know, if we had a couple of folk in the hospital, we would divide it up. You know, I would take some, and, and our, our senior pastor would take some, and, and, and then we would agree to meet in the parking lot at such and such time. And um, one time we got into the elevator. To be honest, we had, we, you know, we have a lot of fun doing this too. But um, we, had just, we would just barely get on the elevator, and it would be crammed with people. And as loud as he could, our senior pastor would say, Now, Joe, what was that stuff you were telling me about being born again? I mean, you have a captive audience, don't you? <laughs> you know, where are they going? What are they going to do? And, you know, you watch people and they get kind of squirmy. You know, they get nervous just to hear the words. So I said, well, you know, you need to understand that you're a sinner. And he said, well, what does that mean? And then it just kind of went on from there. You know, listen, you could find opportunities if you're looking for them. And you can create them sometimes. So here they are, they're in jail, right? In verse 30. 
and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So he'd been listening to what was going on in there. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. So the first time we become familiar with the whole house being exposed to and responding to the gospel is the case of the nobleman's son back in the book of John. Right? Now, do you see what the Lord's doing here? He's leapfrogging you over into the church age in miracle number two with believe. That's the emphasis. Believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the emphasis remains on an hour. Jesus died at a precise, prescribed hour predestinated by God himself. And Jesus died at the same hour that the Passover lamb was slain. Same day, same hour. So Paul had it right when he said that Christ was our Passover. He's our Passover now. So the emphasis is on the hour. Uh, let's look at one more. Let's look at one more. Uh, John chapter 5. This will be miracle number 3. John chapter 5. Now, I want you to notice that there's a progression. Okay, there's a progression. The Lord is going to walk you through the New Testament with all these great miracles. And, and that's really what I love about them, too. You know, uh, John chapter 5, and let's look over and verse number 1. John 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, notice how the emphasis flops right back to the Jews. Do you know where the emphasis is going to be at the conclusion of the church age? Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Didn't we read that in Galatians chapter 4 about the new Jerusalem, uh, which is above the mother of us all? So at the conclusion of the church age, where is Jesus? Well, he's in the new Jerusalem. At the rapture, and we'll talk about that in another miracle, but at the rapture, the church leaves. The tribulation takes place, and the emphasis is where? Well, it's on the Jews. Do you know what a person is going to have to do to get saved in the tribulation? Well, they're going to have to accept a certain Jewish theology that's outlined in the book of James and Hebrews. It's a little bit different than ours. That's why, I mean, really, that's why so many people stubbed their theological toe in James and in Hebrews. Do you know that Martin Luther hated James so much that he wished he could use it to light his stove? He couldn't figure it out. I mean, it seems so contradictory to the book of Romans. And Romans is where Luther was saved, reading that. Man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And then he comes and he says that James seems to be saying something different. The emphasis here goes back to the Jew. So after this 2,000-year period of time where it's believe, 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 all of a sudden this thing reverts right back to the Jew. Do you know where God's earthly people, Israel, is right now? Well, they're on the back burner of the stove. Now, you and I, as church-age believers, we're on the front burner. And when he takes us off the front burner, do you know what he does? Well, he just pulls those pots right to the front burner. All of a sudden, the emphasis is right back on them. You know, people ask, why is Israel so dark spiritually? You know, why are they so blind spiritually? Well, it's because they're on the back burner. But God hasn't forsaken them. God hasn't forsaken them. We're reminded of that in Romans chapter 11. But you know what he's going to do? He's going to reach down with heavenly hands and take those two pots and pull them forward. And he's going to turn the heat up. And it's going to get hot enough. And they're going to say, whoa, well, there's our Messiah right there. The right one. The right one. Because you see, the first one that they're going to accept is the wrong one. 
But that's not all. Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Now notice that this is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool. First we're told there's a feast of the Jews. Secondly, Jesus went up to Jerusalem to go to the feast. Thirdly, a sheep market is introduced. Now over in Matthew chapter 10, what did Jesus say to the disciples? He said not to go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Israel. Now who's that? That's the Jews. The emphasis is all Jews. The sheep indicate that. The Hebrew tongue indicates that. Bethesda indicates that. So what's going on here in miracle number two, uh, with the emphasis on the church age, is believe. But immediately after that, it goes right back to Israel. It's no coincidence that Israel is in the land. It's no coincidence that the world hates Israel. It's no coincidence that Arab countries would like to eradicate Israel from the face of the globe. None of these things are coincidences. Everything that goes on in the world of politics and sociology today is forecasted in your Bible. You know, if you really want to know what's going on, read your Bible. Not Fox News. Sean Hannity can only get little bits and pieces of the surface. But if you want real depth and meaning of the thing, folks, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. That's where it's at. Then down here in verse 9, we have emphasis is on the Sabbath day. Now, these are all Jewish things. These are all Jewish things. Verse 3. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What happened to just believe? All of a sudden here, we're right back to signs and wonders. We have an angel stirring the water. And if you're lucky enough to be the first one to jump in, you'll be healed. But if you're one of the unfortunate ones that can't get to the pool in time because someone beat you to it, well, then you're just plain out of luck. Folks, that's signs and wonders. Now, the Jew seeks after a sign. So do you see where we are? In one miracle, we've leaped by the church age, and we're talking about the Jew in tribulation. Oh, it gets better. Look at verse 5. Verse 5. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. Okay, you're, you're wondering why 38, right? Well, let's look. Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time. In that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Well, man, there's a sermon right there, isn't there? Wilt thou be made whole? You know, a lot of people really don't want to be made whole. You know, the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cursed, that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. So this man had an infirmity for 38 years. 38 years. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 2. Deuteronomy chapter 2 and verse 14. Deuteronomy chapter 2, 
verse 14. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 14. And in the space in which we came from Kadesh Barnea until we were come over the brook Zered was thirty and eight years until all the generation of the men of war were wasted out from among the host as the Lord swear unto them. Now what's being rehearsed here is a little history of Israel. Remember they wandered the desert for 40 years because of their disbelief. So 38 years into that, all of the men of war were wasted. It means they were dead. There's only a few more that have to die before they can enter into the promised land. So preparations are being made 38 years into it. Remember, numbers mean things in your Bible. Everything means things in your Bible. But numbers have a great significance. 38 years is a time of anticipation. Something is about to change. That's not all. 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings chapter 16. And verse 29. And in the 30 and 8th year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Amri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Amri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 20 and 2 years. Now, Ahab takes over in the 38th year of the king of Judah. He's king over the northern tribes. Ahab is one of the greatest types of the Antichrist you have. Of the 18 personalities that type the Antichrist, this guy is right up there close to the top of the list. And he's married to a woman named Jezebel. And they're an evil pair, aren't they? Now, they introduced idolatry in an unprecedented way in Israel. And so this guy is a type of Antichrist, and he's connected with the number 38. All right, Second Kings 15. Second Kings 15. So this guy here in Miracle 3 is representative of something that's about to change. Second Kings 15, verse 8. In the 30th and 8th year of King of Azariah, king of Judah, did Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reign over Israel and Samaria six months. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, and his fathers had done, as his fathers had done. He departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. So here we're introduced to another guy connected with the number 38, who was someone that did great evil. Now, um, both of these characters represent someone who's going to come and who's going to be intrinsically evil, the Antichrist. Okay, So this man, for 38 years, lies in anticipation of being healed. Okay, This impotent man that Jesus told to rise and walk is a picture of Israel in their present condition, and someone really evil is about to appear. That'll deceive them, and that's the Antichrist. And Daniel chapter 9 is going to sign a peace covenant with them, and they're going to buy into it, and they're going to say that it's for their national security. All right, and that's what's going to end up happening there. And then there's one last verse we want to look at in Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. So now this guy is impotent. Okay, we're not told exactly what the problem is, just that he can't walk. Whether it's either a muscle problem or a bone problem, whatever it is, he can't walk. And of course, he's miraculously healed, and he's told to take up his bed and walk. And he's connected to Israel again by virtue of the fact that this happens on the Sabbath day. Remember what Jesus said to Israel in Matthew 24 in the, in the tribulation context? He said, pray that your flight is not on the Sabbath day, didn't he? He said that. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, 
There were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Okay, so now this is a metaphor. Okay, the valley of dry bones is representative of the nation of Israel. Dry bones are what? Dry bones are dead, right? They're dead in trespasses and sin. They're dead. God promises life. Okay, verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and, I was, and as I prophesied, there was a, a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. All right, so you know what you got there? You got zombies, right? You got the walking dead. All right, verse 9. Then he, say unto me, then he said unto me, Prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say unto the wind. That's the Holy Spirit. Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. And he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Now how would you interpret that? I think that's pretty clear, isn't it? Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. So this guy in John chapter 5 is a picture of the resurrection of Israel. So we've got one miracle that deals with the church age, one out of eight, and the whole thing has to do with believe. From that point forward, the Lord keeps walking us through prophetic subjects right into the end, and the last one has to do with a new beginning. And then we're going to stop here for today. Uh, I went kind of longer than I usually do. So we're going to stop right here, and uh, we'll pick this up again next week with uh, Miracles uh, 4 and 5, I believe. We're going to try to do two. And uh, so thank you so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, everyone, uh, for all that, uh, all the prayers and for all the words of encouragement you guys have sent. Uh, really is a, a, it's a real blessing for me to be doing this with you guys. So until we meet again next week. Uh, You've been listening to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. If you have any questions or comments, visit our website at swordofthespiritpodcast.com and send us a message. Or email us directly at info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Until next time, God bless you and good day. Well, that's about it, really. The film ends mainly visually.